Chapter Three of Doctor Nicholas' Experiment by Guy Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. After my meeting with Nicola at Kellerrand's house, it was a new prospect that life opened up for me. I confronted the future with a smiling face, and no longer told myself, as I had done so often of late, that failure and I were inseparable companions and for any success i might hope to achieve in the world i had better be out of it on the contrary when i retired to rest after the receipt of nicholas letter as narrated in the preceding chapter it was with happier heart than i had known for more than two years past and a fixed determination that happen what might even if his wonderful experiment came to naught my new employer should not find me lacking in desire to serve him as for that experiment itself i scarcely knew what to think about it to a man who had studied the human frame its wonderful mechanism combined with its many deficiencies and imperfections it seemed impossible it could succeed and yet strange as it may appear to say so there was something about nikola that made one feel sure he would not embark upon such an undertaking if he were not quite certain or at least had not a well-grounded hope of being able to bring it to a favourable issue however successful or unsuccessful the fact remained that i was to be associated with him and the very thought of such cooperation was sufficient to send the blood tingling through my veins with a new life and strength during the two days that elapsed between my meeting with nikola and the arrival of the vessel for which he had told me to be on the lookout i saw nothing of kelleran i was not idle however in the first place it was necessary for me to replenish my wardrobe which as i have already observed stood in need of considerable additions and in the second i was anxious to consult some books of reference to which nikola had directed my attention by the time i had done these things therefore i had not as may be supposed very much leisure left either for paying visits or for receiving them i was careful however to write thanking him for the good turn he had done me and wishing him good-bye in case i did not see him before i left it was between eight and nine o'clock on the monday morning following that i received a note from the steamship company to which nikola had referred advising me that their vessel the donna mercedes had arrived from cadiz and was now lying in the river and would sail for the north at eleven o'clock precisely accordingly i gathered my luggage together what there was of it and made my way down to her as nikola had predicted i found her lying in the pool on boarding her i was confronted by a big burly man with a long brown beard which blew over either shoulder and met behind his head as if it were some new kind of comforter i inquired for the skipper i am the captain he answered and i suppose you are dr ingleby i had a letter from the owners saying you were going north with us you may be sure we'll do our best to make you comfortable in the meantime the steward will show you your berth and look after your luggage as he said this he beckoned a hand aft and sent him below in search of the official in question i think you have a lady and gentleman on board who are expecting me i remarked after the momentary pause which followed the man's departure that i have sir he answered with emphasis and a nice responsibility they've been for me I wouldn't undertake another like it if I were paid a hundred pounds extra for my trouble. But perhaps you know the old gentleman. I've never seen him in my life, I replied. But I have to take charge of him until we get to the north. 
then i wish you joy of your work he continued you'll have your time pretty fully occupied i can tell you in what way i inquired i should consider it a favour if you'll tell me all you can about him is the old gentleman eccentric or what is the matter with him eccentric replied the skipper rolling his tongue round the word as if he liked its flavour well he may be that for all i know but it's not his eccentricity that gives the trouble it's his age why i'll be bound he's a hundred if he's a day he's not a man at all only a bag of bones can't move out of his berth can't walk can't talk can't do a single hand's turn to help himself his bones are almost through his skin his eyes are sunk so far in his head that you can only guess what they're like and when he wants a meal or when he's got to have one i should say for he's past wanting anything why well, i'm blessed if he hasn't to be fed with pap like a baby it's a pitiful sort of plight for a man to come to what do you think he'd be far better dead and buried i thought i understood putting one thing and another together the reason of the old man's journey north could be easily guessed and at that moment the seaman who the skipper had sent in search of the steward made his appearance from the companion followed by the functionary in question to the latter's charge i was consigned and at his suggestion i followed him into the cabin which had been set aside for my accommodation it proved to be situated at the after end of the saloon and was as small and poorly furnished as an affair i had ever slept in make use of the old nautical expression there was scarcely room in it to swing a cat tiny as it was however it was at least better than the back street lodgings i had so lately left and when i reflected that i had paid all i owed had fitted myself out with a new wardrobe and still had upwards of fifty pounds in pocket to say nothing of being engaged on deeply interesting work i could have gone down on my knees and kissed the grimy planks in thankfulness i'm afraid sir it's not as large as some you've been accustomed to said the talkative steward apologetically as he stowed my bags away in a corner how do you know what i've been accustomed to i asked with a smile as i noticed his desire for conversation i can tell it directly i saw you look round this berth he answered people could say what they please but to my thinking there's no mistaking a man who spent any time aboard ship what line might you have been in sir i told him and had the good fortune to discover his brother had served the same employ thus having established a bond in common i proceeded to question him about my future charges only to find that this was a subject upon which he was very willing to converse well sir he began seating himself familiarly on the edge of my berth and looking up at me i don't know as i ought to speak about the old gentleman at all seeing as he's a passenger and you're so to speak in charge of him but this i do say without fear or favour that whoever brought him away from his home and took him to sea at his time of life did a wrong and cruel action why sir i make so bold as to tell you that from the moment he was brought aboard this ship until the very second he has not spoken as much as five hundred words to me or to anybody else he just lays there in his bunk hour after hour with his eyes open looking at the deck above him and as likely as not holding his great-granddaughter's hand not seeming to see or hear anything and never letting one single word pass his lips i have known what it is to wait upon sick folk myself having spent close upon eight months in a hospital ashore but never in my life sir and i give you my word it's gospel truth i am telling you i have i seen anything like the way the young girl waits upon him you'll find her sitting by him after breakfast and if you go in at eight bells she'll still be the same 
she has her meals brought to her and eats them there and at night she gets me to make up her bed on the deck alongside of it she must indeed be devoted i answered considerably touched at the picture he drew devoted is no name for it replied the man with conviction and it's by no means pleasant work for her sir i can assure you why more than once when i've gone there i found her leaning over the bunk her face just as white as the sheet holding a little looking-glass to his lips to see if he was breathing then she'd heave a big sigh of relief to find out that there was still life in him put the glass back again in its place and sit down beside him again and go on holding his hand for all the world as if she was determined to cling on to him until the judgment day it would bring the tears into your eyes i'm sure sir to see it you have a tender heart i can see i said and i think the better of you for it do you happen to know of anything of their history where they hail from or who they are there is one thing i do know he answered and that is that they're english and not spaniards as the cook said and as you might very well think yourself from the name i believe the old gentleman was a merchant of some sort in cadiz but that must have been fifty years ago the young lady is his great-granddaughter and i was given to understand that her father and mother have been dead for many years well, one thing and another i don't fancy they've got a penny to bless themselves with but it's plain there's somebody paying the piper because the skipper got orders from the office just before we sailed that everything that could be done for their comfort was to be done and money was no object but there here i am running on in this way to you sir who probably know all about them better than i do i assure you i know nothing at all or at least very little i answered i have simply received instructions to meet them here and look after the old gentleman until he reaches newcastle what will become of them i can only guess i presume however that i may rely on you for assistance should i require it i do anything i can sir and you may be very sure of that he replied i've taken such a liking to that young lady there's nothing i wouldn't do in reason to make her feel a bit happier for it's my belief that she's far from easy in her mind just now i remember once hearing an orient steward tell of a man who was tied up with a sword hanging over his head by a single hair he never knew from one minute to another when it would fall and do for him well that's the way i fancy miss moreno is feeling there's a sword hanging over her head or her great-grandfather's and she doesn't know when it will drop what did you say her name was i inquired for i had for the moment forgotten it moreno sir he replied the old gentleman is don miguel and she is the donna consuelo de moreno thank you i said and now if you will tell me where the cabin is i think i will pay the old gentleman a visit the cabin is the one facing yours sir on the starboard side and if it will be any convenience to you sir i'll tell the young lady you're aboard i know she expects you because she said so only this morning perhaps it would be better that you should tell her i replied if you'll give her my compliments and say that i will do myself the pleasure of waiting upon her as soon as it's convenient for her to see me i shall be obliged i will remain here until i receive her answer the man departed on his errand and during his absence i spent the time making myself as comfortable as my limited quarters would permit it was not very long however before he returned to inform me that the young lady would be pleased to see me as soon as i cared to visit their cabin placing my stethoscope in my pocket and having thrown a hasty glance into the small looking-glass over the washstand in order to make sure that i presented a fairly respectable appearance i left my quarters and made my way across the saloon since then i have often tried to recall my feelings at that moment 
but the effort has always been in vain one thing is certain i had no idea of the importance the incident was destined to occupy in the history of my life i knocked upon the door and as i did so heard someone rise from a chair inside the cabin the handle was softly turned and a moment later the most beautiful girl i have ever seen in my life stood before me i have said the most beautiful girl but this does not at all express what i mean nor do i think it is in my power to do so let me however endeavour to give you some idea of what donna consuelo di moreno was like try to picture a tall and stately girl in reality scarcely twenty years of age but looking several years older imagine a pale oval face lit up by dark lustrous eyes with long lashes and delicately pencilled brows a tiny mouth and hair as black as the raven's wing taken altogether it was not only a very beautiful face but a strong one as i looked at her i wondered what the circumstances could have been that had brought her into the power of my extraordinary employer that she was in his power i did not for a moment doubt closing the cabin door softly behind her she stepped into the saloon the steward tells me you are dr ingleby she began speaking excellent english but with a slight foreign accent and holding out her tiny hand to me with charming frankness she continued i was informed by dr nikola in a letter i received this morning that you would join the vessel here it's a great relief to me to know you are on board i said something i forget what in answer to the compliment she paid me and then inquired how her aged relative was he seems fairly well at present she answered as well perhaps as he ever will be but as you may suppose he has given me a great deal of anxiety since we left cadiz this vessel is not a good sea-boat and in the bay of biscay we had some very rough weather so rough indeed that more than once i thought she must inevitably founder however we are safely here now so that our troubles are nearly over i don't want you to think i'm a grumbler but i am keeping you here perhaps when you would like to see grandpa for yourself i answered in the affirmative whereupon she softly opened the door again and beckoning me to follow led the way into the cabin if my own quarters on the other side of the saloon had seemed small this one seemed even smaller there was only one bunk and it ran below the porthole in this an old man was lying with his hands clasped upon his breast you need not fear that you will wake him said the girl beside me he sleeps like this the greater part of the day sometimes he frightens me for he lies so still that i become afraid lest he may have passed away without my noticing it i did not at all wonder at her words the old man's pallor was a peculiar ivory white which is never seen save in the very old and then strangely enough in men oftener than women his eyes were deeply sunken as were his cheeks at one time forty years or so before it must have been a powerful face now it was beautiful only in its soft harmonious whiteness a long beard white as the purest snow fell upon and covered his breast and on it lay his fleshless hands with their bony joints and long yellow nails the better to examine him i knelt down beside the bunk took his right wrist between my finger and thumb as i expected the pulse was barely perceptible for a moment i inclined to the belief that the end of which his great-granddaughter had spoken only a few minutes before had come but a second examination proved that such was not the case i gently replaced his hand and then rose to my feet i can easily understand your anxiety i said 
I think you are wonderfully brave to have undertaken such a voyage. However, for the future, that is to say, until we reach Newcastle, you must let me take it in turns with you to watch it. It is very kind of you to offer to do so, she replied, but I could not remain away from him. I have had charge in him for such a long time now that it has become like second nature to me. Besides, if he were to wake and not find me by his side, there is no saying what might happen. I am everything to him. I know so well what he requires. As she said this, she gave me a look that I could not help thinking was almost one of defiance, as if she were afraid that by attending to the old man's wants I might deprive her of his affection. Accordingly, I postponed the consideration of the matter for the moment, and having asked a few questions as to the patient's diet, retired, leaving them once more alone together. From the saloon, I made my way up to the poop. The tide was serving, and preparations were being made for getting under way. Ten minutes later, our anchor was at the cathead, and we were making our way slowly downstream. I had begun one of the most extraordinary voyages that it has ever fallen to the lot of man to undertake. During the afternoon, I paid several visits to my patient's cabin, but on no occasion could I discover any change in his condition. He lay in his bunk, just as I had first seen him. His sunken eyes stared at the woodwork above his head, and his left hand clasped that of his great-granddaughter. And his left hand clasped that of his great-granddaughter. To my surprise, the motion of the vessel seemed to cause him a little or no inconvenience. Unfortunately for him, his nurse was an excellent sailor. It was in vain I tried to induce her. Let me take her place while she went up on the deck for a little change. Her grandfather might want her, she said, and that excuse seemed to her sufficient to justify such a trifling with her health. Later on, however, after dinner, I was fortunate enough to be able to induce her to accompany me to the deck for a few moments, the steward being left in charge of the patient, with instructions to call us should the least change occur. By this time we were clear of the river, and our bows were pointed in a northerly direction, leaving the miserable companion which ascended to the poop directly from the cuddy, and began to pace the deck. The night was cold, and with a little shiver my companion drew her coquettish mantilla more closely about her shoulders. There was something in her action which touched me in a manner I cannot describe. In some vague fashion it seemed to appeal to me not only for sympathy, but for help. I saw the beautiful face looking up at me, and as we walked I noted the proud way she carried herself, and the sailor-like fashion in which she adapted herself to the rolling of the ship. It was a beautiful moonlit night, and had the vessel remained upon an even keel, it would have been very pleasant on deck. To be steady, however, was a feat the crazy old tub seemed incapable of accomplishing. We paced the poop perhaps half a dozen times, when my companion suddenly stopped and, placing her hand upon my arm, said, Dr. Ingleby, you are in Dr. Nicholas' confidence, I believe. Can you tell me why we are going to the north of England? Her question placed me in an awkward predicament. As I have said above, her loneliness, not to mention the devotion she showed to her aged relative, had touched me more than a little. On the other hand, I was Nicholas' servant, employed by him for a special work, and I did not know whether he would wish me to discuss his plans with her. You do not answer, she continued, as she noticed my hesitation, and yet I feel sure you must know. It all seems so strange. Only a few weeks ago... We were in our own quiet home in Spain without a thought of leaving it. 
Then Dr. Nicola came upon the scene. And now we're on board this ship going up to the north of England. And for what purpose? Did Nicola furnish you with no reason, I inquired? Oh, yes, she replied. He told me that if I would bring my grandfather to England to see him, he would make him quite a strong man again. For some reason or another, however, I feel certain there is something behind it that is being kept from me. Is this so? I am not in a position to give you any answer. That would be at all likely to satisfy you, I replied. I am afraid, a little ambiguously, for I really know nothing myself. It's only fair that I should tell you that I met Dr. Nicola for the first time a few days ago. But he sent you here to be with my grandfather, she continued authoritatively. Surely, Dr. Ingleby, you must be able to throw some light upon the mystery which surrounds this voyage. I shook my head, and with a little sigh of regret she ceased to question me. A few minutes later she gave me a stately bow, and bidding me good-night prepared to go below. Knowing that I had deceived her, and hoping to find some opportunity of putting myself right with her, I followed her down the companion ladder, and along the saloon to her cabin. Perhaps I'd better see my patient before I retire to rest, I said, as we stood together at the door, holding on to the handle and balancing ourselves against the rolling of the ship. She threw a quick glance at me, as if for some reason she was surprised at my decision. The expression, however, passed from her face as quickly as it had come, and opening the door, she entered the cabin, and I followed. She could scarcely have advanced a step towards the bunk before she uttered an exclamation of surprise and horror. The steward, who was supposed to have been watching the invalid, was fast asleep, while the latter's head had slipped from its pillow and was now lying in a most unnatural position, his chin in the air, his eyes open, but still fixed upon the ceiling in the same glassy stare I have described before. In her dismay, the girl said something in Spanish, which I am unable to interpret, and leaning over the bunk, gazed into her great-grandfather's face as if she were afraid of what she might find there. The steward, meanwhile, had recovered his senses and was staring stupidly from one to the other of us, hardly able to realise the consequences of his inattention. Though all this had taken some time to describe, it was really the action of a moment, and signing the steward to stand back and gently pushing the young girl to one side, I knelt down and commenced my examination of my patient. There could be no doubt about one thing. The old man's condition was eminently serious. If he lived at all, there was but little more than a flicker of life left in him. It was a question that at first glance appeared impossible to answer. It would have been better and certainly kinder to have let him go in peace. This, however, I was in honour bound not to do. He was Nicholas' property, whose servant I also was. And if it were possible to keep him alive, I knew I must do it. Oh, Dr. Ingleby, surely he cannot be dead, cried the girl behind me in a voice that had grown hoarse with fear. Tell me the worst, I implore you. Hush, I answered, but without looking round. You must be brave. He's not dead, nor will he die if I can save him. And turning to the steward, who was still with us, I bade him hasten to my cabin and bring me the small bag he would find hanging upon the peg behind the door. When he returned with it, I took from it one of the small bottles it contained the contents of which I had been directed to Nicola to use only in the event of the case seeming absolutely hopeless. The mixture was tasteless, odourless, quite colourless, and of a liquidity equal to water. I poured the stipulated quantity into a spoon and forced it between the old man's lips. 
somewhat to my surprise for i must confess after what i had seen of nikola's power a few nights before i had expected an instantaneous cure the effect was scarcely perceptible the eyelids flickered a little and then slowly closed a few seconds later a respiratory movement of the thorax was just observable accompanied by a heavy sigh for upwards of an hour i remained in close attendance upon him noting every symptom and watching with amazement the return of life into that aged frame from which i began to think it had taken its departure for good and all once more i measured the quantity of medicine and gave it to him this time the effect was more marked at the end of ten minutes a slight flush spread over the sunken cheeks and his breathing could be plainly distinguished when after a third dose he was sleeping peacefully as a child i turned to the girl and held out my hand he will recover i said you need have no further fear the crisis is past she was silent for a few moments and i noticed that her eyes had filled with tears you've done a most wonderful thing she answered and have punished me for my rudeness to you on deck how can i ever thank you by ceasing to give me credit to which i am not entitled i replied i fear a little brusquely this medicine comes from dr nikola and i think should be as good a proof as you can desire of the genuineness of his offer and of his ability to make your grandfather a strong and hearty man again i will not doubt him any more she said and after that having made her promise to call me should she need my services i bade her good night and left the cabin meaning to retire to rest at once the stuffiness of my berth however changed my intention after all that had happened it can be scarcely wondered that i was in a state of feverish excitement in love with my profession as i was it will be readily understood that i had sufficient matter before me to afford me plenty of food for reflection i accordingly filled my pipe and made my way up to the deck once there i found that the appearance of the night had changed the moonlight had given place to heavy clouds and rain was falling the steamer was rolling heavily and every timber groaned as if in protest against the barbarous handling to which it was being subjected stowing myself away in a sheltered place near the alleyway leading to the engine room i fell to considering my position and it was a curious one i do not think any one who has read the preceding pages will doubt a more extraordinary one could scarcely be imagined and what the upshot of it all was to be was a thing i could not at all foresee having finished my pipe i refilled it and continued my meditations at a rough guess i should say it had been an hour on deck when a circumstance occurred which was destined to furnish me with even more food for reflection than i already possessed i was in the act of knocking the ashes out of my pipe before going below when i became aware that something i could not quite see what was making its way along the deck in my direction under the shadow of the starboard bulwark at first i felt inclined to believe it was only a trick of my imagination but when i rubbed my eyes and saw that it was a human figure and that it was steadily approaching me i drew back into the shadow and waited developments from the stealthy way in which he advanced and the trouble he took to prevent himself being seen i argued that whoever the man and whatever his mission might be it was not a very reputable one closer and closer he came was lost to view for an instant behind the mainmast and then reappeared scarcely a dozen feet from where i stood for a moment i hardly knew what course to adopt i had no desire to rouse the ship unnecessarily 
and yet for the reasons just stated i felt morally certain that the man was there for no lawful purpose however if i was going to act at all it was plain i must do so without loss of time fortune favoured me i had scarcely arrived at this decision before the chief engineer whose cabin looked out over the deck turned on his electric light a broad beam of light shot out and showed me the man standing beside the main hatch steadfastly regarding me before he could move i was able to take full stock of him and what i saw filled me with amazement the individual was a chinaman and his head presented this peculiarity that half his left ear was missing as i noted the significant fact to which i have just alluded the recollection of nicola's letter flashed across my mind in which he had warned me to keep my eyes open for just such another man could this be the individual for whom i was to be on the lookout it seemed extremely unlikely that there could be two mongolians with the same peculiar deformity and yet i could scarcely believe even if it were the same and had he any knowledge of my connection with nicola he would have the audacity to travel in the same ship with me it must not be supposed however that i stayed to think these things out then the light had no sooner flashed out upon him and revealed his sinister personality than the switch was turned off and all was darkness once more so blinding was the glare while it did last however that fully ten seconds must have elapsed before my eyes became accustomed to its absence when i could see the man had vanished and though i crossed the hatch and searched not a sign of him could i discover whoever he is i said to myself he has at least the faculty of being able to get out of the way pretty quickly i wonder what but there what's the use of worrying myself about him he's probably a fireman who has been sent aft on a message to the steward and when i see him in the daylight i shall find him like anybody else but while i tried to reassure myself in this fashion i was in reality far from being convinced in my own mind i was as certain that he was the man against whom nikola had warned me as i could well be of anything the chief engineer at that moment stepped from his cabin into the alleyway here i thought to myself was an opportunity of setting the matter once for all i accordingly accosted him i had been introduced to him earlier in the day by the captain so that he knew who i was that's not a very pretty fireman of yours i began the chinaman with half an ear missing i saw him a moment ago coming along the deck here where does he hail from the chief engineer who i may remark en passant was an abedonian consequently slow of speech hesitated for a moment before he replied that's mighty queer he said at length you're the second man who's seen him in the night do you tell me you saw him this minute and if i may make so bold where might that have been only a few paces from where we are standing now i answered i was smoking my pipe in the shelter there when suddenly i detected a figure creeping along the shadow of the bullocks then you turned on your electric and the light fell full and fair upon his face i saw him perfectly there could be no doubt about it he was a chinaman and half his left ear was missing the engineer sucked at his pipe upwards for half a minute eh, queer queer he said more to himself than to me tis very queer twas my second in yonder was saying he met him at eight bells in this alleyway and yet i've been officially acquainted there's no such person aboard the ship but there must be i cried don't i tell you i saw the man myself not five minutes ago i would be willing to go into a court of law and swear to the fact didn't he swear he answered i'll nay misdoubt your word with this assurance i was conducted forthwith to the chart room 
where we discovered the skipper stretched upon his settee snoring voluminously do you mean to tell me that you really saw the man he inquired when my business had been explained to him i assured him that i did mean it i had seen him distinctly well all i can say is it's the most extraordinary business i've ever had to do with he answered the second engineer also says he saw him directly he told me i had the ship searched but not a trace of the fellow could i discover we'll try again leaving the chart-room he called the boatswain to him and accompanied by the chief engineer and myself commenced an exhaustive examination of the vessel we explored the quarters of the crew and the firemen forward the galleys stores and officers cabins in both alleyways and finally the saloon aft but without success not a trace of the mysterious mongolian could we find the skipper shook his head i don't know what to think about it he said i knew that meant that he had his doubts as to whether i had not dreamt the whole affair the inference was galling and i bade him good night and went along to my cabin i wish i had said nothing at all about the matter nevertheless i was as firmly convinced that i had seen the man as i was at the beginning in this frame of mind i prepared myself for bed before turning into my bunk however i took down the small bag in which i kept the drugs nikola had given me and of which he had told me to take such care i was anxious to have them close at hand in case i should be sent for by donna consuelo during the night to assure myself they had not been broken by the rolling of the ship i opened the bag and looked inside my astonishment may be imagined on discovering that it was empty the drugs were gone End of chapter three